Hello and welcome to Upfront, the podcast. I'm Katie Hannan. It's now been four months since the devastating Hamas attack that sparked Israel's war in Gaza and the deadly fighting that led to a dire humanitarian crisis in that area. In recent days, the focus has shifted squarely to Rafah, that's a city in the south of Gaza. It's currently sheltering approximately 1.4 million people, multiples of its usual population, and many of them now in overcrowded houses or makeshift tents. On this week's podcast, we wanted to get an insight into daily life on the ground in Rafah under those conditions. So I'm delighted to say I'm grateful to be joined from Rafah by Izam Hamad. I suppose the very first thing to ask you is, how are you today? Uh, quiet. Today is quiet. Uh, not like the days before. Maybe just talk us through day-to-day life in Rafah now. Where are you living? I am re- living in the west side of Rafah city. Uh, Rafah is uh, a county of five counties of uh, Gaza Strip. The inhabited area of it is about uh, 85 to 100 square kilometers. Usually there are uh, 300,000 people living in Rafah. Unfortunately, from the start of the war, the Israelis have directed the people to move to south of Gaza Strip, into Rafah particularly. And now there is about 1.2 to 1.3 million people in Rafah city. So uh, a city which is usually housing 300,000 is now uh, housing four times the number with the infrastructure from all types are, is designed for a quarter of who is here now. I was actually looking at some video from Rafa last night and there's tents everywhere, these makeshift tents everywhere you look now. Are you in a house yourself? What are your circumstances? Uh, I am in a house. I, I, my, my home is in Gaza, the south of Gaza city itself. After 15 days of, from the start of the war, I received a phone call from the Israelis asking me personally by name to move to the south as um, the area my house is in is, has become a military operation zone. So they asked me to move uh, and they do not uh, guarantee my safety. So I had to move to a house belongs to a relative of mine. He is uh, living in Australia and his house is empty here. So I moved with my family, my father, my sisters, and their uh, the extended family. We are all together, 37 people in that place. 37? 37 in one flat that usually should house uh, five or six people, and one room with a toilet housing uh, 11 men. So we are divided into the two places. The women and the children, and my father was 93 years old, is living in the flat and the upstairs, and the 11 men living in the room with the toilet. The journey from Gaza City down to Rafa, what was that like for you? Uh, the distance is uh, 35, 35 kilometers from my home to Rafah. Uh, we had to use several cars in order to take our belongings, what, what we should, what we could uh, make it. And we took a few things. By the way, uh, even uh, winter clothing, we couldn't take it because we thought it's going to, st- to continue for a few days and it's going to end. But unfortunately now for we have entered the fifth month, fifth month and still it's continuing. So it was uh, three hours journey and we had to come back after that a couple of days to see exactly what we need in the area because we, in the place, we didn't know the details of the place. 
and we had to come back to the to our home <coughs> and it was danger at that time to take a few things in order to run uh, as uh, no, as normal life as possible we couldn't uh, we cannot uh, come near to normal life but at least we had the the uh, gas uh, the gas containers because we need to for cooking they, we took the pots the pans uh, a couple of solar panels in order to charge our uh, uh, cell phones and things like this and, uh, you know uh, from the after 10 days from the war the electricity is cut off from all of Gaza Strip there is no electricity at all in Gaza Strip so there were airstrikes happening obviously uh, a huge number of airstrikes during that period the moment we decided to move it the night before it it was an airstrike something I have never seen in my own life Ever, as I have witnessed the invasion of 2002, the war in 2008, the war 2012, the war 2018, the war in 2021, but 2023 was something absolutely different. Some somewhere around 110 to 150, because I was counting all night uh, shells from uh, F F-16 fighters in the area where we are living exactly. So that, at that moment, I had decided that I have to leave. It must have been just terrifying. Terrifying, and uh, the reason is, uh, I, I, let me explain to you and to the listeners. Uh, when you see uh, neighbors' houses being hit by rockets and people inside the house die, and you know the neighbors who are not members of any factions, who are just civilians, and you just could not understand why they died. This is the reason what makes us to take a decision uh, to flee and go to Rafah. We couldn't understand why are people dying. They are, they, are, they are our neighbors. We know them. They are not members of any faction and they are not military people. They are just normal civilians. Have you lost any family members so far? I did. I did lost uh, several of my family members, but not from the close family members. My family, mem my family members, we have moved to Rafah immediately after the war. But for example, my cousin lost, lost his, uh, his family members in an attack, not on, on the place where they are living, on the beside place, on the, on the building beside it. So it just fell on, on, on the people and they died. And we also, the, uh, the, the building we are living in now, the sister of the owner died because she wanted to, take, to, to bring water for her children. There was an attack on the street and she died because of the attack. And so many others who were not relative to mine. But uh, I'm just explaining about my relatives. In terms of food and you know, food supply, how are you managing? Uh, food, let me explain to you. First, first of all, meat, poultry, chicken, uh, dairy products uh, are all missing. There is nothing in the market and nothing comes from the aid that comes to the people, to the civilian, civilians here in Rafah. Nothing of this included. What we receive from the aid or we can buy from the market is canned food. Peas, chickpeas, beans and things like this. And luncheon meat, uh, also lentils and uh, rice. We, we have not seen it for for a long, long time. Uh, oil and do these things, ba very basic things. That's all we can see, uh, we receive, and that's all you can buy from the market. Because after 
a few months, after a couple of months, everything, uh, I mean, uh, is, is lost from the market, finished, the, the, the storage. And can you get enough out of that? Because obviously there's a huge amount of you in that house that need to be fed. Are you able to get your hands on enough food to keep everybody going? We, we, we buy it. We buy it by uh, sometimes 10 times the price. Uh, milk, I didn't say, uh, ch children milk is not available, baby milk is not available also. Uh, water, we buy it from the desalination plant on daily basis. The tap water comes every eight days for five hours only. And uh, the, the day that uh, the tap water comes, it's a party for us. We have to spend the five hours filling the buckets in order to take it to the rooftop, to put it in uh, the storage tanks. We have two storage tanks of 2,500 uh, liters. And uh, I will ask the listeners to divide that on 37 people in eight days, and you will find that uh, the, the share for everyone is less than or equal to five liters per, per day. This is it. We are uh, sometimes taking a shower every, every eight days when it comes. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a miserable life we are living. Are you worried about further airstrikes there in Rafa? Because obviously there have been some in just the last week. I can uh, re reply by the following words. In three last three days ago, they uh, announced a release of two hostages here in Rafah. So we woke up at about 1.30 uh, in the morning. There was an attack and rockets everywhere. Something like you are in the middle of a, uh, of, 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 uh, of a war. We didn't know what's the story. We just feel firing and uh, bombs and everywhere for state lasted for about 30 to 45 minutes. In the morning, we knew the story. It was a release of two hostages live, uh, taken in a flat somewhere in Rafah. But the result, 100 civilians died in several parts of Rafah. No justification and uh, no explanation why the people in the area I am living in, which is about three, five, four kilometers away from the, the, the operation place, why they were bombed and died, 13, just 200 meters behind us. Why they are bombed, you don't know. So we are terrified, yes. And is everybody in that situation there, like has everybody access to the internet still on the ground in Rafa? And is there a general understanding of what might be about to unfold there? Everybody is worried now in, the, in Rafa and everybody is talking about the invasion only. There is nothing else that they talk about is except the invasion and how they can be in a safe haven place. And even in what's happening, like what has happened, the airstrikes, is there any place to go in Rafa to get shelter if there are airstrikes? No, no, no. Tents everywhere. Every square meter. If you f go search on Google and see the pictures from Rafa now, every square meter, even the place, uh, 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 you see the street has two sides and there is a small uh, in the middle. In the middle, there are tents, tents everywhere on the sides of the roads, on the sides of the, on the area, uh, 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 empty areas. Everywhere there are tents, you see? And, and like what happened in the building we are in. Now, everybody who has a relative now, he has a flat which is supposed to house a family, six, seven, eight. Now, every, every flat in Rafah is housing 30 to 40 people. So any bomb that is dropped on the people, it will kill many. It will kill many. 
I know there's worries as well about disease spreading because of the lack of sanitary facilities, the lack of toilets there. Infrastructure, as I said, is designed for this number. Now the sewage, the sewage water fills the whole, the whole streets. So that's why diseases spread. And we can feel that ourselves even on our children. And there is no health system. Health system is collapsed. Rafah has two, two small uh, hospitals. And every hospital is now busy with the injured people. There are thousands of injured people inside the hospitals being treated since the start of the war. You were able to buy because, you know, even if there is very little in the shops, you're able to buy what you can for your family. But there must be people there who are totally reliant on food aid. Look, the war, when it happened, everything is grounded. Education system is grounded. Uh, hospitals nearly grounded. Uh, work, shops, everything is grounded. So people have no income. The people do not have income at all. And prices have rocketed uh, sometimes 10 times. So where they will get the money from if they are, they have already been designated as poor people who do not have the money to buy food. If I am, if I, I am a regional manager of a, a medical equipment company, so I am one of the well-off people, but the normal people, they do not have the money to buy anything. What do you do every day? Like you get up into this scenario where, as you say, nobody goes to work anymore. There's huge issues around getting food and water. How are you putting down the days? Um, I can explain about myself. My day is now uh, <coughs> only getting the water and what is missing from the food and also walking in order to keep fit because there is nothing to do. Even, you see, there are no uh, fuel. My car, my car, I, brought, I came to Gaza for, but with my car, but my car is now sitting beside the house because there is no petrol. No petrol in Rafah. I cannot use, I can use, cannot use it. So when I want to come here to the syndicate, I walk uh, four or five kilometers in order to, to reach here. Uh, and children, like how are they just thinking about the psychological impact all of this must be having on children who have been uprooted from their homes and they have this fear of what might happen? Cathy, I, I cannot explain it to you, but because I see it on the n nervous faces of the children. They are always nervous. They are always worried. There are lots of fighting between them, the children. They are living in abnormal condition. And look, when you have the children who are supposed to be two or three playing in one room, now you have about 15 put like sardine cans in one room, and they are always fighting. So the, 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 it is not healthy. That's our side. But look at it at the people who have children inside the tent. Inside the tent, it is cold in the, in the, at night and it is hot in the daytime. So what are they going to do? Where are they going to do? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to play? To play with the, in, in the sewage outside? It's, it's something that I cannot, I cannot explain. I cannot describe. It's this, it's, people are living in a, in a, in a catastrophe. Maybe just explain to people for a moment what your connections are with Ireland. You lived here for a number of years. I did. I arrived in Ireland in 1983 to study electronics engineering in Waterford Regional Technical College, which I think uh, has been changed into a university now. 
uh, and I stayed in Ireland. I graduated in 1987 uh, with a degree in, in uh, electrical and electronics engineering. But uh, at that time, the Palestinian Intifada has started in, uh, in Gaza. So I asked uh, the Irish government to allow us to stay in Ireland until the situation changed, and they approved us with a yearly permit to stay. So I stayed in Ireland until 1991, and then I left to United Arab Emirates to, to start work in there. So I actually spent, uh, let, let me be honest with who, whoever is listening to me, I, I spent uh, the eighth best and most beautiful days of my life, uh, eight years in Ireland. I, I, I saw all Ireland. I went into all Ireland. I lived in Waterford. I also lived in Limerick. I got a training course, six months, uh, uh, funded by FOSS. Uh, and I also worked in uh, a company called uh, uh, Hightech, I think, at that time in 1988, uh, in Mount Bellew in County Galway. And I also lived in, in Dublin for some, some years before I leave. And I visited Cork, visited Clare, visited uh, Athlone and uh, Kilkenny, Killarney, all of, all of Ireland. I, I know it very well. And of course, your son was born here. Uh, he was born later. I came on a visit. Uh, I was after I got uh, my position in, uh, in, in here in the company here, I was visiting uh, Germany at that time and I went to Ireland for a visit to see my friends there and uh, my uh, wife was uh, pregnant so we had the child born in Coombe Hospital in Dublin in 1997 and we stayed there I think a month or so or more or less something like that and then we came back to, to my work but after that we discovered that uh, the child is a CP boy he's not a normal he's a disabled boy Cerebral palsy, and that son is now 27, is that right? He is, yes. And he's an Irish citizen, obviously. And he is, he is an Irish citizen, yes. And you had hoped that you could get an exit visa because of his citizenship, but that hasn't worked out. Uh, they told me that they can offer me a family reunion visa. I said, we are seven in the family. They said, we can help you only to take uh, five. You can come, five of you because uh, the law does not allow the children over 18 uh, to come to Ireland. I asked them, it is difficult. I, I find it immoral to leave my children. I have a child who is in second year studying uh, artificial intelligence in the university, and I have an artist, uh, a, a girl who has studied the graphics, uh, uh, and she's an artist actually, and she's 24. And I cannot just leave them. She's not married and he's not married and they are not, they are dependent on me. He said that we cannot help you on that. I wrote a, a letter to uh, the Honorable Minister Helen McEntee asking her to, uh, to grant us uh, some sort of protection, even if she uses the International Protection Law 2015. And she said she, she can only help me if the children are in, in Dublin. I asked her even to offer them a visiting visa to stay away from the bombing and the imminent threat of dying here. But I couldn't really uh, succeed in that. I hope if, the, if anybody who listens to me can help us on that move from here to from under the shelling, under the, the rockets, under the, the threat of dying to come to Ireland. 
without those exit visas, can you see a way out of Rafah? Like, is there any way for no. civilians to evacuate? The only exit from Gaza is Rafah. And Rafah now is uh, nobody can leave except if he is uh, an Egyptian or a relative of an Egyptian, a wife or uh, children, a close relative, or if he is requested by foreign governments. That's all who can leave from Rafah right now. Can I ask you about your son? His disabilities are, are severe. How is he managing yes. and how are you managing with him under these circumstances? We, we are not managing. We urge everybody who listens to us. We are in a chaos. In the house, we used to that, so we have a special toilet with the tools. We have a special walkers for him. We have the, 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 the strips beside the walls in order to hang on that. But we are here living 11 people in one room. He is on a mattress like me beside each other in a room with no assisting tools at what whatsoever you know everybody who listens to me the uh, the person who has uh, cerebral palsy he has a problem with the movement uh, issue in the brain so he cannot control his mouth his muscles so he requires continuous physiotherapy and part of the physiotherapy is walking on the walker so he keeps his muscles in good condition. Now I can feel it because we hold him, take him to the hospital, to the toilet, bring him to a chair to feed him. I can feel it myself. He's becoming stiff. So it is. It, it, I, I can say that those four months have ruined years of work with him. Years of work with him on on his, uh, his health. I think I, I, I'm, I'm saying health. Sorry. How do you keep your spirits up from day to day, Sam? Well, uh, to be quite honest with you, Cathy, if I don't, I will collapse. And I have children with me. I don't want them to collapse. So I have to make my spirits high, even if it is not. I have to show them that my spirits are high, even if, if I'm lying to myself. I have no other alternative and no other choice. The only thing is that I hope that one body, somebody, from somewhere comes to help us and get us the exit uh, permit to come because by the way i was uh, the, the, see how people leave from rafah is that there is a list published every day at night that for the people who are allowed to leave on the 6th of december i had a permit approval for hamza my my son my irish son and shamsuddin who is the youngest of them and uh, i got a telephone from the department of foreign affairs asking me if they can leave I said, Hamza is a CP boy. He cannot live by himself. And Hamzuddin is the youngest child. He's 13. He's a child. How can he take him and go to Ireland? If not the whole family leave, it's, it's impossible. So we have to wait until the other names come. I thought that in another day, two days, a week later will be published. But until today, the names have not been published. And it's not our problem only. There are a relative of mine who's uh, living and who is working in the United Nations in Kenya, he told me that we have 250 relatives waiting for the relatives here for the employees uh, working with the United Nations abroad, and they have not been approved. My cousin also, my cousin, other cousin, he has a, a, a girl who's a United States uh, a citizen. Uh, he, her name was approved, her mother's name was approved, 
the, the, her brother not, is under 18, was not approved, and he, her father was not approved. So it's something like this. Something like this. Why they are doing this, I don't understand. I myself, I myself am an independent person. I'm, I do not belong to any factions. I'm not a military people, I'm just a civilian people. I even ran for the Legislative Council in 2021 as an independent person. So why they do this, I don't know. I honestly don't know. What's your greatest fear now? That they invade, invade Rafah and the same what we have seen in Gaza and Khan Yunis, we see it here. Unfortunately, I can say that not less than 10,000 people will die for no reason. For no reason. Issam, thank you so much for talking with me today and, and we really wish you the very, very best of luck over there and that your situation improves and that you find some way out for your family. Stay safe. Thank you, Cathy, for uh, letting me speak to the Irish people who I love from the bottom of my heart. And that was Issam Hamad. Thanks for listening to Upfront, the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can message us on social media at RTE Upfront or via WhatsApp. Our WhatsApp number is 087-677-1000. And don't forget to tune in to Upfront on Monday evening at 10.35 on RTE1 and on the RTE Player. And I'll see you then.